This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for October 9th, 2011. The Gospel is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. The message is by Mother Nancy Stanton. Not care what they were wearing? I mean, yeah, we have kind of a, a code of what to wear to certain things, but these folks heard at the last minute they didn't have time to go home and get their wedding garments, all of them. However, when I began to understand the parable a little bit more, I found that it needed to be divided into two parts. The first part is the wedding banquet, and the second part is the wedding garment. And we need to examine each of these to see, one, how they reflect on the customs of the day. When we're reading scripture, that's always important to look back what was going on, because obviously things were not exactly as they are today. I think Paul can probably tell us that they're still not exactly as they are here today at all. I'm sorry? Different mindset completely, yeah. Different mindset, different climate, different everything. So it, it makes a great deal of difference on what implications that would have been for Jesus' hearers as he's hearing, as they're hearing this parable. What did it mean to them? And then lastly, does it mean anything for us today? If so, what? Well, first of all, the events of the parable having to deal with the wedding feast were completely, and still are, in accordance with the normal Jewish customs of the very devout Jew. Whenever you're throwing a party or having a party, you announce it throughout the village when it was gonna be held. And then when you were ready to go with the party, you sent word to those people that had been invited that it was time. And it would be very, very embarrassing if only a few people showed up. Now that's not so different from us. If we were having a party and we only, we invited 60 people and 10 showed up, we'd feel kind of bad, wouldn't we? We'd been cooking all day and all week maybe and nobody was there to eat the food, nobody was there to celebrate, nobody was there to see your son get married. That would be pretty upsetting and it was to the king and so he sent his servants out and said, go out and invite anybody you can find and bring them back. Go out to the highways and the byways and, and find those people and bring them back and have them come to the banquet. Now, just like any of Jesus' parables, the people of that day, it would have rung a bell for. They would have understood exactly what he was saying. And they could have easily related to what was happening. 
And then when we get to the second part of the parable and we look at the wedding garments, in ancient times, just as today, the guests at any banquet are normally expected to come properly attired. And it could be easy to be deduced that the garments have been provided for latecomers. We um, have to share some excitement in my family that we've had in the last couple of days. My son has been in Washington, D.C. at a banquet and at a conference. And the first banquet that he went to was Friday night. And this is for America in Bloom. And my son is an architectural horticulturist for the city of Bexley. And he's also one of those tree people that climbs up in trees and cuts down trees and knows what's wrong with trees and all that good stuff, an arborist. And I received a phone call from him on Friday night and he sounded like he had regressed from 43 to four. Mom, mom, I got the top prize for the top arborist in the United States. I was a proud mama. I was a very proud mama and he was so cute. Mom, you want me to read it to you? <laughs> yes, dear, I'd love for you to read it to me. Well, then I received a phone call last night and it was the closing banquet. My son, Mark Moore, and Bexley, Ohio, are number one in the United States overall. Now, huh? Can he come landscape the church? Well, he's gonna come cut a couple trees down for us so we can put a driveway in. Um, I'm so proud of him, I'm so proud of him, but I also bring, to bring it back to the sermon, other than being a proud mother, um, I, and I got tickled with that too. He said, Mom, you've always taught me that pride was not a good thing to have, but can I have it for a few minutes? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think you can have it for a few minutes. But at any rate, I know my son, and I know that he dressed properly, and he would not have represented the city of Bexley well should he not have dressed properly for both of the banquets. And that was true of that day too. People in ancient times um, would be expected to come properly attired. But it's easy to deduct that maybe there would have been some garments that could have been there for people that um, were latecomers and just didn't have time to go home. You know, like you go to a high end restaurant and they say that um, you need to wear a coat and a tie and um, you don't have one with you. And so they provide them for you. Usually they look pretty funky, but I had a, another funny story in, in my family. My adopted father was a haberdasher clothing man, men's clothing store. And he was one of these people that mowed his yard in silk trousers. And he always dressed right to the nines. And we went to Washington, D.C. one year, and he said, you go on to bed, and I think I'm going to go down, and I'm going to have a cocktail, and I'll be back up in just a few minutes. And he came back up, and he's rumble, rumble, rumble. I said, Daddy, what's wrong? 
you couldn't get in the bar without a shirt and a coat, uh, without a coat and a tie. <laughs> and so he came back up to get his coat and tie so he could go and have his cocktail, and he was not very happy about that. He thought he was dressed rather properly. But for some unknown reason, one guest just doesn't wear the garments, and he is promptly ejected. Now, we turn to the meanings of these two parts for the listeners there in Jesus' day. And as we've heard the gospel passages for the last couple of weeks, this parable comes along with several other confrontations between Jesus and the Jewish leaders. If you remember in last week's parable, the parable of the tenants, the workers who killed the servants of the king represented the Jewish leaders, and a result of their actions, the vineyards were turned over to other workers, and likewise in today's passage, those that refused to come to the feast were again the representative of the Jewish leaders. And again, as a, re as a result of their rejection of the king's invitation and their action, the kingdom of God would now be open to all comers. That's us, folks, the Goyan. Praise be to God, we're there. And this brings us to the meaning of the wedding garment. Matthew uses the image to challenge his hearers to put on clothing which symbolize righteousness. And there's some precedence for this language and its meaning. Paul states in his letter to the Ephesians, so stand fast with your loins girded in truth, clothed with righteousness as a breastplate. In Colossians, he further amplifies the meaning of this phrase as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called into one body, and be thankful. Thankful. Matthew's point is that there's no privilege to the kingdom based on status. Only a life of changed attitude and performance counts as a valid wedding garment. So it's not clothes they were wearing, the cloth clothes they were wearing, but what they were clothed in. This brings us to the third point of our analysis of this text, which, what does that mean to us? Well, the principal point is probably pretty obvious. We should not feel comfortable with just participating in a Christian community of faith. Do you mean I'm telling you that just being here on Sunday morning, sitting in a pew, 
lovingly known as pew warmers, is not enough. Gosh, why would that be? Why wouldn't that be enough just to walk in the church and sit every Sunday? One of the statements that I've made a lot of times is you may be the only Bible someone ever reads. And if you're the only Bible that someone ever reads, then a Christian needs to be known by their actions, don't they? And just walking in the church and sitting in the pew doesn't show us very much action. It does show that we can get up on Sunday morning and we can come in and we can sit down and we can listen and participate and then get up and go back home. But do we carry it back with us is the question. Do we take it back home with us? Do we show it all week long? Do we bring with us ourselves clothed in compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience? Do we show that to our coworkers, to our family, to all that we meet during the week? Remember what they said in Roman times, look at those Christians, how they love one another. Do they say that about us? Look, she or he must be a Christian because they love one another so much. A true Christian needs to be known by their actions and their deeds and how they deal with each and every person on an equal basis. I can't do a sermon without a story. And the following story, I think, summarizes this point very well. The little boy was talking and he said, I went to my dad and I said to him, there's a new kid who comes to my school. He's different from me and he isn't too cool. No, he's nothing at all like me, like me. No, he's nothing at all like me. He runs in a funnyish, jerkish way, and he never comes in first in a race. And sometimes he forgets which way is first base. He's nothing at all like me, like me. No, he's nothing at all like me. He studies all day in a separate class. They say it's called special ed. And sometimes I don't understand just what he said. And he's nothing at all like me, like me. He's nothing at all like me. His face looks kind of different than mine. And his talking is sometimes slow. And it makes me feel funny and there's one thing I know, he's nothing at all like me, like me. No, he's nothing at all like me. And my father said, son, I want you to think. When you meet someone different and new, that they may seem a little bit strange, it's true. But there's not, they're not very different from you. No, they're not very different from you. Well, I guess I admitted, I've looked at his face. When he's left out of a game, he feels bad. And when other kids tease him, I can see he's so sad. 
I guess that's not different from me, from me. No, that's not very different from me. And when we're in music, he sure loves to sing. He sings out just like me. When he gets to singing, he's not very different. He's not very different from me. When he gets his report card, I can tell that he's proud. And that's not very different from me, from me. No, that's not very different from me. And I know in the lunchroom, he has lots of fun. He loves hot dogs and ice cream and fries. And he hates to eat spinach. And that's not a surprise. Because that's not very different from me, from me. No, that's not very different from me. And he's always so friendly. He always says hi. And he waves and he calls out my name. And he'd like to be friends and get into a game, which is not very different from me, from me. No, I guess that's not different from me. And his folks really love him. I saw them at school. I remember on open school night, they were smiling and proud and they hugged him real tight. And that's not very different from me, from me. No, that's not very different from me. So I said to my dad, hey, you know that new kid? Well, I've really been thinking a lot. Some things are different and some things are not. But mostly he's really like me, like me. Yes, my new friends, a lot like me. As members of St. Andrews, as members of a Christian community, we respond to the Lord's invitation to participate in the wedding feast that is given here on Sunday and sometimes during the week in our Holy Eucharist. That's our wedding feast. Not only to be present by wearing our proper wedding garments, the clothing which symbolizes righteousness as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. We come here clothed with compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. We bear with one another and if anyone has a complaint against another, we find forgiveness just as the Lord has forgiven us. So we also must forgive. And above all, we need to be clothed with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, to which indeed we are called to be in one body and to be thankful. We have no right nor way to be feeling superior or smug against any others in any way because we are all equals in God's eyes. When we gather around the table of the wedding feast 
to participate in the Eucharist. We are all beloved in God's eyes. And just as the boy in our story learned, what it means to live by is the golden rule. It's something we don't teach that much anymore. And that makes me sad because I think it's a very important lesson for our children to learn and for us to remember that as Christians, we need to do unto others as you would like them to do unto you. None of us is different from anyone else because we are all equally special in the eyes of God. And God loves us all as his precious children, his special children, for whom he sent his only beloved son to prepare that Eucharistic feast with his own body and blood. What love that is. Amen. You were just listening to Come and See. Come and See is a production of St. Andrew's Anglican Church in Lewis Center, Ohio. St. Andrew's is also available online at www.standrewspolaris.org. Please join us again when we invite you to come and see.